Kim Thomas. Welcome to the Curate's Corner, Seven Fridays in Lent. If you were with us last week, you know that we talked about how Lent is the season when we commemorate the 40 days in the wilderness that Jesus spent. He went out to fast, to pray, he was tempted, and he was preparing for his public ministry. You also know that we talked about how Lenten practices vary with different streams of the church but they all serve to draw us closer to the Lord during this season as we remember his suffering, his death, and his glorious resurrection. I'm taking the opportunity on these seven Fridays to look at seven different events in the last week of his life, and uh, we're looking at them through the eyes of seven classic pieces of art, uh, the scripture, as well as some uh, classic prayers to help us focus on those exact themes and again to draw us closer to him as we meditate on these things throughout the season. So last week we looked at Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem and today I thought we would look at uh, the Last Supper and we find that recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22. If you want to grab your Bible, you can follow along or you can just listen to me or you can follow along on your phone if you have a, a copy of the Bible on there as well. I'm going to look at chapter 22 and I think I'll back up a few verses before the recording of the Lord's Supper to verse 8. So I'll begin reading for us right there in the ESV. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And now verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And in the original, that word earnestly, uh, it's a deeply passionate reference. He earnestly, as in he desired to desire. So he's really expressing his heart here, how much he was looking forward to eating this meal. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. So in this short passage here, uh, I think we have three different things to look at. Um, One of them is that uh, this is the last Passover meal and the first communion. Jesus is explaining to them uh, that while the old covenant required this sacrifice of a perfect spotless lamb, that from now on, because of his sacrifice, he would be that perfect spotless lamb. That because he who was the sinless one came to bear our sins on our behalf, on, he came to bear our sins so that he would be that perfect spotless lamb. Uh, we would no longer have to have that sacrifice and those ceremonial laws. And so he says, take the bread and uh, eat it because this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. So he's preparing them for what's about to happen, but also showing them that this is the new way, the new covenant. And uh, so then he says, and this cup, this is my blood. Take this in remembrance of me. So we see here the end of the old covenant and the beginning of the new covenant as he has this meal with them gathering around this table. Note too that um, Christ has overseen all the details, everything from the small details to the eternal details. And that for me, um, that's important to my heart. I, I noticed Once again, just like last week when we looked at the triumphal entry and Jesus told the disciples to go and get the donkey and the foal and tell the man that the master has need of this. And they went and they found it just as he had told them. Then again today, he has told the disciples in uh, chapter 22 to go and they'll find a man and tell them that uh, the master has need of this room and uh, prepare it there, and they found it just as he had told them. And I, I'm, I just love to see that Jesus had prepared details like small details, a donkey and a foal, and then a room with the furnishings necessary for this meal that uh, all these details had been seen to. And then on a grander scale, we see God's ultimate provision, his ultimate sovereignty, and the details that are most important. Uh, That is that the salvation that we so needed, the plan for this ultimate Passover lamb had been planned from the very beginning. Um, This plan was not, um, it was not plan B when the circumstances on the ground changed. We see that verse 22, for the son of man goes as it has been determined. 
Nobody took the life of Christ. Judas, his betrayal, was not the reason for Christ's sacrifice. It was planned from the very beginning. You see, God the Father planned our salvation. God the Son accomplished our salvation. And God the Holy Spirit applies our salvation. All these things were sovereignly planned. And that warms my heart. I hope you see those details so importantly planned out and displayed right here in the gospel for us by faithful Luke, who records all the details so carefully. And this walks us up perfectly to the painting that we want to look at today. One of the most famous paintings in the history of the world, most recognized paintings ever, uh, The Last Supper, painted in the 15th century, uh, over a period of four years, from 1494 to 1498, um, painted by 15th Italian Renaissance painter Leonardo da Vinci. And I think um, most people, if they have not even been interested in art, have heard of Leonardo da Vinci, an amazing man who lived in the golden age of creativity, the Renaissance. He had contemporaries such as Raphael and Michelangelo, an amazing time to be born, but especially for a painter and a creative person. Um, one of the most extraordinary minds the world has ever known is da Vinci. He was the definitive Renaissance man. And in particular, they called him a polymath, someone who is the master of several different disciplines. In particular for him, um, art, science, math, engineering, all of these things. And someone like that today would be um, Elon Musk. I think they've called him a polymath as well, someone who has mastered many disciplines. But da Vinci's curiosity in all things was the key to his inventiveness. He even had drawings that were precursors to a helicopter. Just a fascinating imagination and uh, a skill unlike many um, ever to come along. He apprenticed as a young man in Florence where he flourished and mastered many skills and disciplines. And then almost 20 years later in Milan, he would come to take on one of his most monumental tasks and that was the Last Supper. And that Last Supper was painted on the wall of the refectory of the um, Santa Maria del Grazie in Milan, Italy. I did that with my most proper accent, I hope. Um, this was uh, just outside of Milan, and the painting itself is 180 by 350 inches. If you can just get a sense of how enormous this painting is. And a refectory... Uh, if you've heard that term before, it's actually, it just means a dining hall. So this was the dining hall of this um, place where, uh, probably where the monks would come to gather. They, they would eat there, but also it was a gathering place for them. Uh, what an honor to have this amazing piece on the wall. Jim and I saw it several years ago. We visited there and um, it was truly Surreal is the only way that I can describe it. Um, you go in and one time slot permits 25 people at a time to go in for 15 minutes. And you go in through what is sort of like this airlock 
and then you're allowed to enter in. They're trying to keep down the dust because they're doing their best to preserve this marvel. And um, unlike traditional frescoes of his time, um, Leonardo painted this not uh, by putting pigment in wet plaster, but instead he painted it on dry plaster. And that was not successful for him. And almost immediately it began to flake off and he had to go back and touch it up several times. And uh, it just was not a successful thing. He did this because of the style that he was painting in and uh, doing it dry helped him to be able to create the effect that he liked, but uh, it was not successful. The experiment uh, disappointed many, and um, a few decades after the work was finished in the mid-16th century, um, much of it had already begun to disappear. Ironically, now it's the only surviving um, beautiful mural that he ever did. The canvas of it, uh, reproductions of it, you can see those at the Louvre, but uh, the original, there is just something special. Even though the every bit of it is not there, there is truly something surreal about standing in the front of this failed fresco that has such a beauty to it. Um, in the several centuries after the painting was finished, this beautiful piece went through several hits. Uh, it is really amazing that any of it is left. In 1652, in the mid-17th century, the monastery residents cut a new door in the wall of the deteriorating painting, which removed a chunk of the artwork where the feet of Jesus was, down over the center in the bottom. Um, okay, I understand that back then, Leonardo da Vinci was not, all capital letters, Leonardo da Vinci, but still, I just can't believe they cut a hole in this beautiful painting so that they could access the kitchen on the other side. But um, so that happened in the 17th century. Then in the 18th century, Napoleon Bonaparte's soldiers turned the area into a stable. And so that further damaged the wall. And then during the uh, early 20th century in 1943, World War II, the Nazis bombed the monastery, reducing surrounding walls to rubble. And miraculously, somehow, this wall remained standing. It, it's truly, truly a miracle. Then in late 20th century, in 1980, the church was listed as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And thank goodness, that means that it will be preserved for many generations to come. And I, for one, am very grateful for that. And that means that they'll continue to do their best to preserve the site. When Jim and I were there uh, several years back, um, not only was uh, the site preserved to the extent of having these airlocks and uh, minimal people uh, being allowed to go in, also they had a temporary display there with several of Leonardo da Vinci's original sketches for the hands in the painting. And uh, that was quite a treat because I don't know if you've ever tried to draw hands, but to me, that is the penultimate of skill, drawing hands. And that leads us to the painting itself because of the focus that we see in the painting. The Last Supper, 1494 to 1498, it took him four years 
to paint this, which I think is pretty much um, a masterful amount of time to paint such a work. Uh, da Vinci did choose to paint the scene. He timed, he put this in the time just like what we read from the gospel here today, right when Jesus told the disciples that one of them would betray him. He captured that scene. I've got a copy of the painting right here in front of me as well. Um, so I'm looking at it while you're looking at it. And he captured the moment when he has told them one of them will betray him. And um, I think it's an amazing thing that he chose to do that moment at the Last Supper. And what we see is kind of this swarm of movement and expressions, uh, sort of a, a sense of chaos, but um, a quiet, calm chaos. And he's captured that in the hands of the disciples. We see um, sort of this energy. None of the hands are doing the same thing. Every hand in the painting is in a different expression. The disciples are devastated by what Christ is telling them, that one of them would betray him. And they're conveying their feelings dramatically through their body language. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci was known for capturing body language in his paintings. Mary Corey, Maya Corey, excuse me, is an art historian at the University of Oxford, and she referred to this aspect of the painting uh, this way. The Apostle James flings his arms out in shock. And James is to our right and to Jesus' left. You can see both arms extended, his face registering horror. John the Evangelist turns away from Jesus in pain, and John the Evangelist is the young one painted almost uh, effeminately to Jesus' right, our left. And you see him looking down as St. Peter grabs his knife and gestures in disbelief. And Peter is the uh, heavy, um, he's got kind of a beard and has his hand extended to John, just to the side of John, and gestures in disbelief. Then we see Judas, and he is to the front of Peter. Judas' pose reveals his guilt. Unlike the others, he does not gesture wildly or in sorrow, but simply turns to Christ in surprise and clutches to himself a bag of coins, the payment for his betrayal. I think you can see in his right hand, there is that little bag of coins and uh, da Vinci portrayed, even though we know that uh, Judas didn't have his bag of coins at this point in the story, um, da Vinci has portrayed that here, uh, foretelling of his coins, the one who would betray. And then I find it interesting, too, if you'll observe, look at um, Judas' left hand and Jesus' right hand. Notice them extended toward each other and the posture of their hands. There is a, there is a tension uh, in both of those hands, open towards each other and yet... Uh, not in a sense of welcome or um, a sense of looking to embrace, uh, but the tension that is captured there. And again, as I said earlier, having painted hands, this is simply a spectacular masterpiece. It's clear da Vinci wanted to communicate the narrative through the hand gestures of these 
12 disciples on this painting, the moment of confusion and the unsettling news that the disciples had received. Da Vinci also uh, captures this scene through his exquisite work with linear perspective where all the perspective lines converged at a single vanishing point on the horizon. Uh, this gives strength to the centrality of his painting and what was to be the most important part of his narrative. There are actually 22 perspective lines that I could count that find their resolve in the face of Jesus, just to his right temple, uh, probably right at the mind of Christ, the calm center of the composition, the calm center of all the confusion. Our eyes are led inexorably to Christ by the carefully planned spatial arrangement of the painting. Um, he was uh, just a master with his skill in engineering and mathematics, and then um, obviously his work with the brush to capture that in this painting and draw our eyes right there. I think um, this is a good place for us to find our focus and our meditation for this week, particularly in the midst of unsettling times in our own global context as we look at wars and rumors of wars as we observe, unlike any other time, uh, we can watch wars unfold in front of our very eyes. And then as many of us are still um, dealing with the last couple of years from the virus, uh, probably folks unsettled financially, and maybe there are some of you who are still awaiting news on um, medical tests, or maybe you have kids that are still unsettled from being in school, out of school, adjusting to all of the changes of the past few years. And um, some of you are sitting with loved ones who are just this side of the veil, waiting to pass from this life. And with all of those unsettling, uh, maybe 22 perspective lines, Perhaps for us today, we can also find the resolution of all those things settling uh, in the peaceful place of Christ. And I think that as we observe this time of Lent, knowing that Christ has planned all the details, including our salvation, we can also say with the Apostle Paul from Philippians 4, we can rest in the fact that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that all of these things that weigh heavy on us can find their resolve in Christ, just as Leonardo da Vinci has portrayed for us in this rather uh, restless scene with the apostles. Well, I thought I'd close our time today with a prayer from... Um, Beautiful George Matheson, a 19th century pastor, writer, and Edinburgh minister. And I think this prayer perhaps would have been a good one for the disciples as they left the dinner that night, and certainly for us today as we consider the different uh, lines in our life that need to rest in the knowledge that uh, God has all of these things 
under control. So if you'll bow your heads with me, I'll uh, read this prayer for us. Dear Lord, I thank thee that thy love constraineth me. I thank thee that in the great labyrinth of life, thou waitest not for my consent to lead me. I thank thee that thou leadest me by a way which I know not, by a way which is above the level of my own poor understanding. I thank thee that thou art not repelled by my bitterness, that thou art not turned aside by the heat of my spirit. There is no force in this universe so glorious as the force of thy love. It compels me to come in. Amen. Thanks for spending another Friday with me here at the Curate's Corner, seven Fridays in Lent. Be sure and like down below here and subscribe to the podcast. And you can also click on the show notes below to get the further resources from the website. I'll see you next week. Curate's Corner with Kim Thomas is a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. If you find this daily podcast beneficial, leave a review and share it with friends and family. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit thevillagechapel.com. Music for this podcast by Charlie Peacock.